Today, um, we are going to consider a little bit uh, of Mary. We're going to be looking at a text where Mary breaks out into song. This is kind of like a, I don't know, a, a musical or something today in the text. <laughs> um, you know, Mary, yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to go sing this song today. So, no, you really don't want me to sing. That's why we have you. Mary. All right, so uh, the church throughout the centuries really have kind of done different things with, with Mary, particularly Catholics and Protestants. We've seen her in different ways, right? Protestants say Catholics think way too highly of Mary, and Catholics would say Protestants don't even give any credit to Mary. Like, they, they don't even acknowledge her almost. And so uh, I got a few pictures uh, of Mary, just some classic art, and... Uh, obviously, she is very white. Probably so. Uh, she's obviously what thirty, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just go through them. She is very. She's from 15th century English. <laughs> she's, she's English uh, from the Romantic period. She, she is a queen, and she is yes. She's very graceful. She can walk with a big crown on her head. She gave birth to a, a midget. A midget. Um, <laughs> did you notice that? <laughs> Jesus was a ginger. <laughs> he didn't have a human soul, so. I'll tell you what, I'm impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice? I. I can make Jesus in my own image. I just pick the right pictures. Seen the picture of him with a lever action Smith and Actually, I have seen that. Um, the, the The idea is we all have some misconceptions of Mary. Uh, I, what did you get from those pictures? Right, some of those things I was calling out. She she must be, you know, middle age at least, very white. Very. We got to learn last week a little bit of Mary and really put. Uh, the story in context when this angel came to Mary, she was like 13 or 14 years old. Not only was she terrified that an angel appeared before her, but she was terrified, would have had to have been terrified that uh, she's going to be with child, betrothed to be married. Um, not only would that have been extremely embarrassing, as it is today, but even more so in that culture to be, to be pregnant and unmarried, uh, not only would it be extremely embarrassing, but she would have been threatened with, with death because the law stated that if you were pregnant out of wedlock, that it was appropriate to have that person stoned and the man with which she fornicated with, right? Um, some say that Mary, being the mother of God, was holy, that she was sinless. Uh, some claim that she was a virgin and, and stayed that way. Stephen Korsman, who's a, a Catholic writer, actually says this, kind of sums it up. Mary is, for Christians, a devout and holy example to follow. She is our mother, our queen. She was kept pure by God and never touched by men. She brought Christ into the world and, as his mother, is the ark of the new covenant. She said yes, where Eve said no. Um, you can go to catholic.org 
and read all about some of the beliefs that, that Catholics have about Mary. Uh, I will say, just to be uh, upfront, I don't want to be divisive. There are lots of Catholics who are very devout Jesus followers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, just like there are some in, in all other denominations who are genuine, true followers of Christ, and there are some that are not. Okay? Um, and so I don't want to cause unnecessary division, but I do want to point out uh, that Christ and Christ alone is our only source of salvation. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. If it was someone else besides Mary that gave birth to Christ, it, it, that's, that's not the big deal, right? The big deal is Jesus himself, right? Um, some people actually claim that Mary is a way of salvation. Like you, and theology is, is a bit strange, but they'll, they'll kind of juggle it to say, well, Mary gave birth to Jesus, and so we have to, we have to go through Mary to get to Jesus, or we can go through Mary to get to Jesus, and that brings us to God. And, and so uh, I just want to be very clear, no. No, Jesus is the only, is, that's it, okay? Um, some Protestants have heard these ideas of, about Mary and kind of just rejected her altogether. Today we're going to get to look at Mary, and we're going to look at her respond to her circumstances, and I want you to see that Mary is, in fact, a godly woman. She is a woman to look to, to model your, our lives after, uh, if we want to be God worshipers, God-fearers, if we want to um, be godly individuals, then this is absolutely a biblical hero to look up to. And, and so we're going we're gonna to kind of see and, and juggle somewhere between this very high view of Mary that would be bad and dismissing her altogether. That's, no, she's here in the scripture. She was chosen to be the one to deliver the Messiah physically into this world for, for a reason. Um, all right, remember where we are in the story. And if you haven't been here, then let's, we'll do a quick recap. But Luke, we're in the gospel according to Luke. Luke is writing a letter to Theophilus, who's a Roman official, high-ranking high Roman official probably. Um, he seems to be a skeptic. Luke, as we talked about a few weeks ago, also is approaching this kind of from an angle of a skeptic. He says, Theophilus, I'm writing this, I'm compiling these accounts, I'm interviewing eyewitnesses because I want to prove to you that Christianity, that the gospel that you've been hearing, it's actually true. It's not just a faith, it's not something you close your eyes and believe, it's not a blind jump, it's actually true and it's grounded in history. Let me tell you this story, this true historical account. And in so doing, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to prove to you the gospel is true. And so that's, that's what Luke is doing, and that's what he's doing for us as well. As uh, I tried to demonstrate, we have lots in common with Theophilus, uh, someone who's from ancient Rome, someone uh, who uh, is a culture that was very pluralistic. Um, it was very scientific, at least for the age. It dealt a lot with, with philosophy and science and dealing with the five senses. Yet there was also this spiritual side, this relativistic spiritual side, that whatever God you want to worship, 
is fine. There's lots of gods. And you can worship anyone you want, whatever, whoever will make it best for you. Whoever will make your life the best. You, you can appease that god and that god will, will bless you. Well, that's exactly how we here in our culture think about God. Let me get on God's good side so that he will bless me. Hmm. Luke, in writing to Theophilus, starts his story. And he starts it out with a bang. He starts it out with, with two accounts of an angel appearing. Like you, you would think, Dr. Luke, who's very grounded, he just jumps right in, full force, and God shows up. An angel shows up to deliver this message. God had been silent, as we talked about two weeks ago, silent for 400 years. God breaks the silence, coming onto the scene, and Luke records it. <coughs> Gabriel shows up to Elizabeth and says, uh, you're old, you're barren, you're going to be with child. You're going to give birth to the forerunner of the Messiah, who I call the rooster, the one that's going to crow. But here comes the sunrise. Right? Here, here is the Lamb of God. That... That is what John the Baptist was going to do. And Elizabeth miraculously conceived. She's 80 years old. 80. Pregnant. Last week we saw the same angel, Gabriel, visit not an old woman, but a young virgin girl, 13 or 14 years old, and said, you're going to be with child, and your child is going to be the savior of the world. We talked about how that would have been mind-blowing, uh, unreal. If we put ourselves in, in, in her shoes or even in her environment, do you think anyone would have believed her? No, of course not, just like, they, just like we wouldn't right now. This past week I saw a Facebook post, and a mother and her teenage daughter were suing a doctor because they claimed she got pregnant from a flu shot. I have a hard time believing that. <laughs> In fact, I don't think anybody's going to believe that. But this is, this is their claim, and I'm thinking, man, that had to be what it was like for Mary. Nobody's going to believe this. In fact, she was fearful for her life. The angel told her, that I've been to see your relative Elizabeth, and she's with child, barren, miraculously going to have a child. And so when we leave last week's text, where we are going to start today, uh, Elizabeth, or Mary, after getting this revelation from the angel, where does she go? Where do you think she goes to see Elizabeth? Someone who is... Maybe in a similar circumstance, who the angel just told her about. So, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke 1. And we're going to start in verse 39. And this first section, I'm just going to read through it. Abner, would you like to read for us, dude? <laughs> you would? Well, Nate, please read for us. We're going to start in, in verse 39. And read through 45. Oh, you don't have your Bible? There it is.
granted. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So Mary goes to this person, her, her relative, that the angel had just told her about. And when she shows up, Elizabeth recognizes that the baby inside of her is leaping with joy as Mary comes into her presence. And she automatically realizes, praise, praise God. Blessed be you, the mother of our Lord. She, she's excited. She knows, apparently before Mary really even says something, because the baby inside her, John the Baptist, the one who Jesus would later call the greatest man to ever be born from a woman, recognized the Holy Spirit, recognized and praised the Son, miraculously conceived in Mary's womb. Crazy. Now, it would be very easy to get on a soapbox and talk about the life of the unborn, for, at least for me right now. But recognize that. Here's, you've got an unborn baby praising God, leaping for joy in the presence of Jesus. And the mom does so. She recognizes it as well and says, Blessed be you, Mary, the mother of our Lord. Do you think that Mary was comforted when she went into the presence of Elizabeth? She had to be. You know, out of, out of all the people in the world, um, there's probably only one living at this time who could kind of understand what was happening to Mary. Because a similar thing had just happened to her. Isn't it cool how God provides other people to comfort you? People that have been through circumstances that you're going through. Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit uses other people to comfort you. I know that you all have some kind of experience like that. Do you not? When you think that you're all alone, no one else could be experiencing what I'm going through. And then you find that person who has been through it. What does that do for you? It takes a weight off your shoulders uh, like nothing else. Have you ever been that for someone else. I'll bet some of you have. Let me, let me encourage you. Um, this should be motivation when, when you put yourself in this story, when you put yourself in Mary's place, and the, the, the joy, and we're going to see her respond in just a minute with a song of joy. This is kind of like confirmation for her that the Holy Spirit gives her comfort that everything she's just been through, she really, she really just went through it. This wasn't a dream. This, this, was, this was real. When you are that for someone else, when Elizabeth, you know, it, it had to have produced joy for Elizabeth as well. I, I want, I, really, I just want to, to lay that out there uh, because so many of us are ashamed of our past. 
because of the things that we've gone through, the hardships that we've gone through, and we tend not to speak about them. Here's an example of why you should. Uh, first of all, if, if your trust is in Jesus, you, you can rest assured that anything that has happened to you in the past, it, it, it's done with. You've been forgiven for that. It has been swept under the rug. You have been made clean, or if something has been done to you, you are washed clean by the blood of Jesus, and you don't have to regret anything that you've done in your past. In fact, God can use your past, no matter how ugly it was, for the joy and benefit of others because you've been through something and the Holy Spirit wants to use you to comfort others. And so be bold. Uh, because, the, because your past doesn't matter, because you've been forgiven, you have the freedom to share your past experiences, to confess your past to other people. Uh, you never know when someone else in the room is going through a circumstance they don't want to talk about, but when they hear yours and the struggles that you've been through, you'll be amazed at how many people begin to come to you and say, I'm glad you shared because I'm going through this situation. Could you help me? And when that takes place, when God uses people like that, he he produces joy. He does. Comfort and joy. And in the middle of this circumstance, Mary rejoices. She rejoices. That's what she does next. Even though she must have been terrified, she breaks out into song. This is where we're really going to focus today and, and see the heart of Mary as we read this next section called the Magnificat. Which, uh, is a Latin word that really just means to exalt. We get the word... Um, magnify from this word to make big and so we're going to see in this song that she sings uh, she's going to be magnifying the Lord and in my mind at least I picture her just breaking out into a into song and dance that's probably not what happened because you know when you're when you're totally terrified uh, you don't just break out into song art at least I don't Megan and I were talking about this this week and she has a picture in her mind of Mary. She's probably been visiting with Elizabeth. Maybe she's sitting outside early one morning watching the sunrise in deep contemplation. And for a moment, the circumstances fall away and she's able to see, see through the circumstances to how magnificent and how blessed she really is because God chose her. When you recognize that, the pain of your circumstance, they fall away. So maybe she had this at least one moment of, of clear thinking, of seeing the truth, of seeing God for who he really is. So I just want to read through this song to begin with, and then we'll, then we'll talk about it and see that Mary was a godly individual. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. 
He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So here she is breaking out into praise. That's, that's what the, those first verses, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. The only explanation of her response this way is that she was a godly woman. She loved God. She trusted God, at least in this moment. She trusted, she trusted God. Um, it, it's true that Mary was only 14. In, in our mind, she is a little girl. And in reality, she's a little girl. At the same time, to be 14 in that culture, she would have been more mature than most 14-year-olds that we meet. All right? uh, in, in those times, there was no such thing as a teenager or an adolescence. You were either a child or an adult. In fact, it wasn't until the 19... I want to say 60s that the word... Even for us, in our culture, teenager even came into existence, and it came from a Reader's Digest article. I, I asked my grandfather one time about teenager, like, were there teenagers in your, in your day? And he said, no, I don't guess there was. You were, <laughs> then we had, like, young adults, but no, I don't guess there was. But that's because he went to work when he was 12. Like, he, he started working, and, that's, and that was just the expectation Kids were given responsibilities, and there was at some point you became an adult. In this moment, Mary just became an adult. She became a godly woman in this moment. Notice, um, if, if you're familiar with Scripture, to, to, to any large extent, or if you grew up in a Christian home, you, you may have noticed... A lot of scripture of the Old Testament was right there in Mary's song. Mark of a godly person is that they have a love for scripture. They have a love for God's word. It's kind of funny to me. The word of God was in her womb. And, and the word of God was coming out of her heart in this moment. Like, Mary was so steeped in Scripture that when she began to praise, like, this is what came out. Scripture came out. Uh, let me read to you, uh, and, and I think she had to have been thinking of this particular character in the Old Testament named Hannah. Hannah was a, a lady that was old in age and barren, hadn't, couldn't have kids, and in a similar sort of way as all of this going on, uh, she gave birth to a great prophet named Samuel. And when she gave birth to Samuel, she, in recorded in Scripture, in 1 Samuel, uh, it, it's, it's, a song is recorded. It's called Hannah's Song. She had to have been thinking of this story that she would have learned from childhood. Uh, because the song she sings is so similar to the song that Hannah sang. Now, it's not word for word. And Luke's not quoting Old Testament Scripture, but uh, this just... just gives evidence to the fact that Scripture is, is so a part of Mary's life that it bubbles out. All right? Listen to Hannah's prayer. Just see if you recognize any um, similarities. Hannah prayed and said, 
My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to be to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings the low and exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So we have some of the same common themes going on. My God, my Savior, he is great, he is magnificent. He lifts up the humble and he stomps out the proud. And sorry, Josh, I had a slide that had that up there. No, it's fine. Too bad. Okay, it doesn't matter doesn't matter. The other one should be better. That was just a, a lot of text. The words that came naturally to her that were the words of Scripture. I find that amazing. Scripture is an amazing thing. Have you ever found yourself in a circumstance, especially those of you who, who grew up memorizing Scripture, you went to Sunday school and you had these, had to do Bible drills and you had to have Scripture memory. Uh, have you ever been amazed when you're in a situation and things are just going awry, it's going crazy, and you can recall some scripture or you can recall a story that happened in the Bible and that totally changes your demeanor. Has that ever happened to you? Some, for some of you have, and some of you don't, haven't got to have that, that joy. A mark of a godly person is to have God's word in your heart, or at least a desire for God's word, because some of us, we didn't have that, that privilege. And that's okay. If we love God, then don't we want to hang on every word that he has to say? Think of someone that you look up to and that you admire, um, whether it's a a TV personality or whether it's a a boyfriend or a girlfriend or maybe your husband or wife back when they were your boyfriend or (laughs) girlfriend when you, you admired them so much. That you hung on there every single word. You couldn't get enough of it. Man, what if, what if we demonstrated our love for God in that way? What if we loved him so much that we hung on his every word? Now, I, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. Um, I'm saying this because I feel guilty in saying, <laughs> in saying this. Um, I, I want to encourage you. God's word is always there for you. It's right. We can pick it up. We, in this country, have access to the Bible, to God's Word. Uh, can you even fathom that? The God of the universe, the God that created everything, wants to talk to you. And He's made it very, very clear. Because it's in writing, it's been written down for you to consume. 
That's crazy. That's crazy. It, it, of course, if you believe it is actually the Word of God, then why wouldn't we want to devour it? Why wouldn't we want to store it up in our hearts? I, I understand um, sometimes we go through seasons where we, we, we are all about God's Word. We want to read it. We want to devour it. And then we go through dry seasons, don't we? There are uh, things that get in the way. Kids, work, rest. Let me just encourage you. Refocus for a moment. Wait, wait. Who, who gave you the kids? Who gave you your job? Who made this whole world? Could it be that what he has to say is more important than all those things? Maybe. Maybe. This world wants us to deprioritize God's word. Certainly. Again, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to guilt trip you. Alright? You're, you're, you're not going to hell if you don't read the Bible. That almost sounds like sacrilegious, doesn't it? Just like you're not going to heaven if you do read the Bible. You're not going to hell if you don't. <laughs> but if you truly believe that the Bible is the word of God, then whoa. Whoa. Yeah. So the mark of a godly person is uh, a desire for God's word. Mary was a godly woman not just because she knew God's word, but because she was fearful. That sounds a little odd, maybe. I'm not talking about this idea that she was afraid of her circumstances, but, but read some of what she just said. Uh, she's singing about how the Lord has done great things for her, and she says in verse 50, And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Uh, she, she goes on to kind of explain, or it, it comes out in the context, at what she says next, like what she's talking about. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. This is the kind of fear that you have when you encounter a force that is far superior than your own. You ever had that experience? Uh, I, I was trying to think this week of, okay, what, what gives me a fear? What is, what is such a powerful force that I am fearful? It doesn't mean that I don't uh, approach it, because if, if God it truly loves us, and we see in the Bible, in God's Word, that we can approach God, we have access to God, but there's still some kind of fear that we're supposed to have. In fact, uh, when I'm talking about fear, I'm talking about like, fear. Uh, Jeremiah 5.22, and there's a slide for this one. Uh, should you not fear me, declares the Lord, should you not tremble in my presence. I'm talking about real fear. Sometimes we'll dismiss this and say, well, it just means reverence or awe, which, yes, it does mean that, but it does mean fear and trembling, like for real fear. Um, Psalm 33.8 does say, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the people of the world revere him. It's a fear that knows that nothing can stand against God. Nothing. Uh, so I, was, I thought about animals popped into my mind first off. Because uh, some animals we are... 
fearful of, and we approach them differently than other kinds of animals. Little kittens, you know, we'll approach them one way. Really big cats, lions, we would approach them a totally different way, right? Uh, my friend Kirk, who is a pastor at uh, Gospel Community Church in Fayetteville, they just bought a new house, and he was super excited because he had a couple of acres now and an old barn because all of his life he's wanted to get fainting goats. Have you guys seen fainting goats before, right? Do you guys have some fainting goats? No? Okay. Because <laughs> if so, we should have brought an object lesson. <laughs> so, so when, when uh, fainting goats get freaked out, they faint. They, they just get stunned, paralyzed, and they fall over like they're asleep. And so the, the fun thing to do is to sneak up around the backside of a goat and try to scare them because when they do, it's hilarious. You should totally go watch Fainting Goats on YouTube uh, tonight. And, and, it, and, it, and it just fall over. Yes, yes. And they fall over asleep. It's hilarious. Now, uh, me and Anthony, who, who's not here this evening, I helped him paint a fence almost a month ago at the Truett Cathy Farm. Um, man, he, he had to walk like... I don't know. That's a big fence. He painted it all. And he and I, uh, we just went back through and did touch-ups on this fence. And we, it took all day just to walk the fence and, and do little touch-ups. Anyway, uh, so they have cattle on their farm. And we, where we first started, uh, we, were, we were extremely hesitant because there was a, a huge bull standing in the corner where we were supposed to start. We were, we were hesitant. They told us that this, this was a friendly bull. Like you, I mean, he even likes to be petted. <laughs> but me, Anthony and I are standing there, and like, why don't you get the inside? Uh, no, why don't, you get, why don't you get the inside of the fence? Uh, both of us went over the, went over the fence, and we, we approached this bull and, and, and put our hands on it. He didn't phase him at all either. But the look in his eyes, like... Now, would I ever approach that bull the same way that I would approach a fainting goat? No, of course not. Because this bull has a, is a force that cannot be reckoned with, not by me. You can imagine that scenario, right? If I went up behind him. Anyway. No, it wouldn't go well. This, this is not that God's a cow or anything like that, um, unless you're Hindu. You, they worship. They worship cows. Sorry. Look, th- this is the kind of fear. Uh, fear in a way that that you know God can go like this, and you are nothing. <laughs> Here's the thing. Mary had a healthy fear of God, because when we when we truly fear God, and if we truly believe that God is on our side, then what else could we possibly fear? Nothing. Nothing at all. And so that's why we see Mary beginning to praise God in the middle of her circumstances where she should be terrified. She realizes, no, I'm not actually afraid of this. I'm afraid of God. That's where my fear, that's where my fear is because uh, nothing, none of this is happening without Him allowing it to happen. And if God is good, well, okay then. I'll just, I'll just praise you, God. And that's what, that's what she's doing. Matthew 10, 28. You've probably heard this before. 
Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Notice that this kind of fear uh, is not focused on one's self. Because when we're focused on ourselves and we become afraid of the circumstances, that's a totally different kind of thing as fear of the Lord because we're focusing on Him and actually off of ourselves. This kind of brings us to humility. Marks of a godly person that we're seeing in this text. Uh, Love for Scripture. Fear of God. Humility. Look at some of the verses that we just read. Because isn't it true that when you're not thinking of yourself, that's called humility? We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, Verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Uh, Notice, Mary understands that she needs a Savior. That's why she said, my God, my Savior. Um, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Um, This this is just one easy verse that demonstrates to us that Mary was a sinner. Out of her own lips, she recognizes that she needs a Savior. So when we say that Mary was a, a sinless human being, as some people do, that, well, that's, according to the Bible, not, not true. According to Mary, that's, that's not, not true. She knew that she was nothing on her own, yet she said the whole world will call her blessed. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting sort of thing to me, because humility, uh, humility obviously is not thinking too highly of yourself, but don't make this mistake of thinking that humility is thinking nothing of yourself either. The whole world is going to call me blessed. Uh, why, why? Why is that? Uh, of course, it's not because she did anything. It's because my God, my Savior, has done these things. Mercy is for those who fear Him. All right, so let me ask you this question Who in here is humble? Probably the most humble person you've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Like, really humble. See? <laughs> I'm more humble than you, though. Yeah, exactly. This is, this, is a, this is a perfect example of what I want to demonstrate. You can't really raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm humble. Because now, you've, because now you're demonstrating that you're not humble. So you can't... You can't. <laughs> so if you if you uh, uh, you know raise your hand in the affirmative, say uh, yes, I'm humble. Well, that's demonstrating you're not very humble. But if you say no, I'm not. No, what, what's the other one? Uh, no, I'm not humble. Yes, I am humble. No, I'm not humble. Well, either of those demonstrate where you're not very humble, I guess. Or maybe because you you know that you're not humble, that actually makes you humble. But maybe you're just playing a game, and you, and you anyway. Humility is an odd sort of thing, is what I'm trying to make the point here. Are you humble? Um, Most of us realize that we're not very humble. Maybe we have moments of humility. But what what is humbleness, really? 
I, I want you to think about that. Okay, so it's not thinking too highly of yourself. That's called arrogance, right? But if you think lowly, if you think very low of yourself, then who are you focusing on? You, if you're dwelling on your own circumstances, oh, woe is me, nothing is right in this world, I'm in such dire, I'm, I'm just, oh, this is awful. Well, that also could be because of, of pride, right? <laughs> Mary has a pretty high opinion of herself in some sort of way. But why can she say that? Well, the reason why is because it's not about her. Tim Keller, in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, which I would recommend to any of you, it's a short, it's a day's read, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. He says this, The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Let me read it again. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. You see, when, when it's not about you, then you, you kind of stop caring in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, you stop caring. You especially stop caring about what other people think about you. Right? That truth... Uh, and again, because I, I'm not trying to guilt this, I know all of us are feeling a little bit guilty because we think, well, I'm not very humble. No, I, I want you to see that, that, that humility is actually a, a freeing sort of thing. right? This is not to make you feel guilty. It's to help you see that truth, God's word, fear of God, actually sets you free to be humble. It prevents you from ever thinking too highly of yourself. And this is what the gospel does. Okay, The gospel is this, is this weird sort of thing because it... it it tears you down and builds you up at the same time. It makes you stop thinking about yourself and magnifying God just like Mary is doing. And when you do that, you actually are, are full of joy. You have a, a healthy self-respect because you see that, that you're blessed. God has loved you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. Well, that changes your whole perspective on things. In fact, I would say it produces humility. Here, here's, here's what the gospel does. I told you it prevents you from thinking too highly of yourself because um, the gospel says that you are a sinner. You are dirty. You are nasty. You are filthy. You have rebelled against God. And in fact, it took nothing less than God sending his son to die for you. That takes you down a notch when you recognize that you are a sinner and what you deserve. And that's what the gospel says to us. And at the same time, the gospel prevents you from ever thinking too low of yourself or too little of yourself because you're so important to God. The God of the universe that created all of this loves you so much that he gladly, willingly put on flesh to become an embryo in Mary's womb that would be born for the purpose of dying for you. He loves you that much. When you see that, 
what can you say but I am so blessed. And if the rest of the world knew what God has done for me, they would call me blessed. It's not because of me, but it's because of God. You see, it's only when you believe the gospel that it balances all of this out. The gospel puts our fear in the right place because it focuses our attention on God, the magnificent, the powerful, the all-powerful, the only thing to be feared. It drives us to God's word because we think that God loves us enough to communicate to us, to tell us about the good news that he's come to save us. And beyond that, he tells us how to live in this world that he's created. He's given us this instruction manual. That's how much he loves us. That humbles us in a way that nothing else can. It all comes back to belief in the gospel. Uh, Mary was chosen. Mary was given Jesus. And she responded with joy and with praise, with singing, actually. That's what I want us to do now. As we respond... Jesus has been offered to you. The Son of God has come and given his life so that you may be made righteous, so that you may be adopted into his family. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what color your skin is, what family you grew up in. None of that matters. Jesus loves you, and he wants to bring you into his family. That is worth magnifying God over. And so that's how I want to finish our, our time together. Let's pray and then sing together, magnifying God. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, for Luke and his, um, his recording of, of these things that happened in history so that we may believe your gospel. Lord, would you help our unbelieving hearts? In all those areas where, where we don't believe, where we don't believe that you've communicated to us, where we don't believe that you have given of yourself for us because you love us, help our unbelief. We do love you, and we need your help to love you even more. Thank you for loving us so much. God, would you produce a desire within us for your word so that we may know you more? Would you uh, produce in us a healthy fear, a reverence for you that makes all of our circumstances, no matter how hard and difficult and how scary, would you allow those to, to fall to the wayside? Provide for us comfort, uh, even in the other people in this room, the other, the other Christians who have been through similar circumstances. Would you make them bold enough to be able to share their circumstances and so that that we may feel confident to approach them and go for them and find your comfort through them. <laughs> Help us to be humble. Help us to see you for who you really are and to see ourselves for who we really are, deserving of nothing but chosen by you to be elevated, to be a part of your family. God, we turn to magnify you now with our voices. It's in your Son. Jesus' name that I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.